0: Today's show is an encore presentation. Three Criswell College professors join us in studio for a lively discussion of theological issues. If God is loving, how could He let someone choose hell? Also, one of the signers of the Evangelical Manifesto, Dr. Daryl Bach, will be in studio to discuss his views on that document. This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College, Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture.
1: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall.
0: It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7, 1941, a date which
1: will live
0: in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes.
1: And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon.
2: We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail.
0: Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Well, I am so glad to be on the air with you again, four days
2: in a row. It's been just a blast. I'm very grateful that you've been listening and spending some of the time with us that we've had together. I have a great evening tonight because uh, Dr. Everett Berry is in the studio with me, good friend of mine, also a co-professor is Associate Professor of Theology. Everett, I appreciate your joining us in the studio tonight.
3: Oh, great to be here, Barry.
2: All right. Now, uh, we've had some interesting things going on. We have a great topic that we're going to bring up tonight and talk about in just a few minutes, and uh, we're going to be speaking, hopefully, on the line with Spencer. Spencer Burke, uh, and uh, is as he comes on the line, we'll interview with him about this topic uh, that I think is going to be interesting to everybody. The topic is uh, judgment and hell, and in fact, uh, this is what I want to ask you as a listener uh, to think about tonight. What are we supposed to think about hell and judgment, and particularly today, because we're working so hard. Uh, whether we should be or not, Uh, and and I'm not saying we shouldn't be, I'm just saying this is what we do. We're working so hard to package Christianity so that it's comfortable to the community. And uh, I don't mean by comfortable necessarily that it's compromised, even though a lot of times it is compromised in the process, but we do work really hard to package it so that people will come our way so can we faithfully represent the love and goodness of God and the love and goodness of God are really comfortable packaging Uh, that is the part of the gospel that we want to hear of course it's not a part of the gospel that makes a lot of sense until you understand the rest of it, but still, it's the part of the gospel we're really fond of and enjoy uh, interacting with. So is it possible for us to faithfully represent the love and goodness of God and still talk about hell in oh, the old fire and brimstone way? And uh, Dr. Barry, I understand every one of your sermons is a hellfire and brimstone sermon. Is that right?
3: Yeah, I preach to one person every week. <laughs> Uh, To
2: yourself, I assume? That's right. Okay, that'll work. Uh, Anyway, so one question I'm asking everyone is, uh, is it possible for us to faithfully represent the gospel and uh, still talk about hell or judgment? Is hell or judgment an essential part of the New Testament message of Christianity, or is it something we should reevaluate? Because a lot of thinkers are reevaluating. The second question I have for you as a listener, especially, for you to process while we're talking about all of this is, what does our view... Of hell and judgment let's say your view has changed about hell and judgment and you don't think uh, many people go there or no one goes there what does that do to our responsibility to share the gospel with normal people and again when I say normal people what I mean is non-christians because as Christians we're the ones who are supposed to be abnormal and uh, most of us are for reasons that have nothing to do with our Christianity but I mean in terms of our Christianity uh, we're abnormal and so how do we relate to normal people in terms of judgment and hell. Are we able to speak about that? So, Dr. Berry, what's going on in the community of Christianity right now, whether it's evangelical or outside of what people would consider evangelical, whatever, just in the Christian community, what's the discourse right now about hell and judgment? What's, what are the tendencies theologically? What's happening?
3: Well, well in years gone by, uh, there were basically two options. One was to talk about universalism, right. which eliminates the need for hell because now, everyone eventually will receive salvation. Okay,
2: so when we say universalism, we're talking about the concept that every single person ends up going to heaven. Correct. Why would anybody believe that?
3: Because Scripture speaks of Christ reconciling all things unto himself, and that would include all people. Okay, now you don't believe that, right? No, of course not.
2: Right, right. So, But some people would advocate that. Okay, go
3: ahead. All right. So you had universalism, which was, has been one major alternative. And then another option that is bec- was, was the default as opposed to the traditional view of hell is what's known as annihilationism. Okay. What's that? Annihilationism is the idea that people do go to hell, but when they do, they cease to exist. They are consumed by judgment.
2: Well, I mean, that seems uh, punishment enough. Isn't that punishment enough? I mean, why wouldn't we hold that view? What difference does it make?
3: Well, because we have so many passages that allude to the idea of what we call eternal Punishment. Right, or eternal torment or hell being something that is forever.
2: Now I know there are people listening who are saying this in their minds, so I'm just uh, playing devil's sure. advocate here, sure. and I do mean devil when I say that. Uh, so not that they are the devil for thinking it, but still I realize this is not a sure. uh, legitimate. But anyway, uh, if I said, well, <laughs> look, if their soul is destroyed, how long is it destroyed? It's destroyed for eternity, so that's eternal judgment. What's you know what's lacking in it's that? It's always
3: amazing to me in discussions of annihilationism. You never hear anyone talk about Satan. Being Being annihilated. Uh, You never hear of demonic. uh, But they're really bad.
2: We're not bad like that.
3: Yeah, see, that's the problem. Uh, This view of hell links to a low view of sin. Uh, Ah, that's uh, the
2: problem. And when you say that, you mean uh, we don't understand thoroughly enough how badly we deserve judgment. That's right. We don't think we're that bad. I get you. I want to come back to that in just a second, too. Uh, Let me just hear you, because, uh, you know, I think there's a tendency among all of us, uh, whether it's in academic circles or in Christian circles, when we're among the sophisticated and those who've thought through things and are no longer just repeating the religion of their grandparents, whatever. I think we have a tendency to shy away from talking about topics like this, partially because there are caricatures of it uh, which are unfair, Uh, But they're very popular caricatures that somebody has to stand up in the pulpit and just scream bloody murder uh, about hell in order to talk about it. And uh, we're not advocating that that uh, position that you have to take, that you have to have that attitude or that hate uh, or that joy, that glee uh, about hell in order to believe in hell. Uh, but I just want to hear you express because you know you've studied a lot of theologians. I'm just going to say to everybody listening, uh, and this is, uh, and I'm getting Dr. Berry to cover his ears here. He's not listening anyway. He knows I really don't respect him when I say this, but. The truth of the matter is, I don't know anybody better read and more thoroughly informed on theological issues than uh, Everett Berry here. So I'm going to just ask you real quickly. You've read them all. You've read all the liberals. You've read all the emergent guys. You've read a lot of the emergent guys. You've read as much as you could probably stand. You've read uh, a lot of conservative theologians. You've read all the scholarship. What's your view on hell? I mean, what do you believe uh, is true about it?
3: In 30 words or less,
1: right? Yeah. Correct? yeah.
3: <laughs> yes, correct. You have 40 seconds to address the whole issue. Right. Well, when I read the Gospels, just for as a quick example, uh, the message that Jesus gave that was so jolting to his listeners was that more people seemed to be going there than what they thought. Right. Most of those who actually on the outside looked committed to God yeah. actually were the ones who were leading so many others to hell. Right. And so... You're right that many times we want to characterize escaping divine judgment as fire insurance, and that's all the gospel's about. Right, right. And that's a problem. Right. But it is clear in the gospels, in right. the New Testament writings, that Jesus came to deliver us not just from sin, but deliver us from God. Let me, let me get you to frame that one more
2: way, because I, I just want to hear for sure that I'm understanding you correctly. Uh, a lot of people, and I've had good friends of mine who were, went into clergy in different uh, different, uh Uh, denominations, to put it politely, uh, at least different denominations, maybe different faiths altogether, uh, who have argued with me, uh, they say basically, okay, in the Old Testament, God was a God of judgment. They say, "I I can see that, they say. And then they say, but in the New Testament, you know, he's a God of love, and, and things have changed. And I, I know I, can't, I can hardly say it without becoming sarcastic, so I apologize for being so sardonic in the statement of it. But still, it just nauseates me to say the words. But anyway, they say, but he's a God of love in the New Testament. And so uh, the judgment that was so prominent in the Old Testament— Uh, is not the same in the New Testament. And our message in the New Testament is one of inclusion and and embracing and forgiveness. And and that's different than the Old Testament. And that's the the scandal of New Testament Christianity. What would you say in
3: response to that, just to clarify what you were saying a moment ago? That they're actually on the right track, that the scandal is that God forgives us. That Uh, is the scandal. All right. To recognize what forgiveness is, you have to acknowledge what it is from which you're being forgiven. And part of that is not just sin, but also the penalty and the results and consequences of it. So part of the shock
2: of Christ coming to the New Testament uh, and speaking, coming to the world in the New Testament and speaking to the people who were there was that he said to religious leaders who already believed that they were following a law that would include them in heaven, that he was saying to them, that they were part of what was going to face eternal judgment. Uh, And that that is antithetical, completely opposite. of the way we're generally told to receive the New Testament. Of course, forgiveness is a part of it, uh, but so is hell. So uh, let me ask you this. Do you think, I mean, is this just a quirky doctrine that, uh, you know, basically Jesus-freak type people might uh, embrace somewhere in uh, some different part of the country, and it's not really influencing evangelicalism, it's not really influencing mainline Christianity at all, or is this becoming popular in any way? I mean, is there any influence it's having on uh, what we would consider the main body of Christianity?
3: It is having an influence because we have many evangelicals today who want to have a voice that the current Western culture will listen to, but the Western culture will not listen to any religion that's going to talk about hell. And so how do you have a Christianity that's tenable without hell, and there are many theologians, scholars, church practitioners, pastors, uh, conference speakers, and evangelical guilds who are trying to have a hell-less Christianity. Right. Now, I have to say it's, uh, it's, it's still
2: remarkable to me how important it is to us that people be willing to uh, accept our message in order for us to keep the message what it is. That, right. that really bothers me. Uh, I know I do it, too. I'm not, I'm not pretending I'm, I'm uh, somehow uh, immune to the temptation to compromise the message in order to fit my congregation. And certainly, it's critically important that we do fit the message to the congregation where we can, but without compromising the message. But, you know, I think you've raised a really important point here, because I, I run everywhere, even in very conservative churches, I run into... Um, strong Bible believers who don't like that part of the message. And, right. and they will argue with me ardently. If I, if I preach from Romans 10, and I come to the conclusion that if we don't go and tell them, if they don't hear the message, then a person who is lost and has never heard the gospel right. is accountable to God for their sins and therefore facing eternal judgment. They just say, well, that's ludicrous. God's not going to hold them accountable for what they haven't heard. Surely, surely there's a way that God can include those people and take them to heaven, even though they've never heard the gospel. What's your response to Uh, that? You have
3: many Christians who just recognize, look, you can't be a universalist. You just can't use Scripture to support it. So instead of eliminating hell altogether, let's just lower the number of people who go yeah, and yeah, so yeah. you have inclusivism <laughs> you have the idea that if people are committed to whatever truth they have and yeah. whatever religion they have yeah then if they're devoted to that, and they've never been exposed to the gospel, then they have salvation.
2: Right. Now, of course, I mean, just right off the bat, just to clarify for everyone listening, both you and I uh, believe in a traditional biblical view of hell. We both believe it's right. eternal. We both believe everyone goes there who doesn't know Christ as Savior. And that's, and the only way not to go there is to accept Jesus Christ as Savior, to know Christ by faith. So uh, all of that is our commitment to uh, the faith of the gospel, and we are, we are thoroughly committed to that view. Now, here's the uh, issue that we talked about yesterday that came up, that we're going to bring up again today, uh, part of Christianity identified as evangelicalism has become, uh, in some people's minds, has become mired together with conservative Christian politics or conservative Republican politics. And so uh, a lot of people are looking at that and saying, I'd like to pull back from having to be identified with conservative political values in order to be identified as an evangelical. And they wrote a document called the Evangelical Manifesto. We talked about it yesterday on the air, Dr. Burke and I did, uh, for a Period of time, and we criticized it pretty harshly. One of the signatories to that happens to have uh, privileged us with his presence, both by listening yesterday and by being willing to interact with us about that document today. And so, uh, Dr. Daryl Bach is going to be joining us after the break and uh, speaking with us about uh, the Evangelical Manifesto and the opinion he has about it, uh, which is a obviously and obviously dis- different opinion than Dr. Burke and I had yesterday. So I'm looking forward to a lively interchange on this. And want to invite you to stay with us and stay in the discussion because our highest priority is that we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one we serve no matter what our view is on anything else. So hang on with us on Jerry Johnson Live.
0: That's chriswell.edu. Today's show is an encore presentation. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. All right. I am very pleased to be back with you now,
2: joined not only by uh, Dr. Everett Berry, the Associate Professor of Theology here at Criswell College, but also by Daryl Bach, uh, Research Professor of New Testament Studies, Professor of Spiritual Development and Culture over at Dallas Theological Seminary. Dr. Bach, it's a privilege to have you in the studio with us.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to be back.
2: Although Dr. Berry has some trouble uh, with the fact that uh, you indicated earlier that you were not a Dallas Cowboys fan.
1: No, I'm a Houston uh... Houston, well, Texas. Well, you don't, Texan, I'm you don't a, have to he's a Texans here. fan. You don't have to confess with a Tennessee Titan connection. I mean, it's it's all it's Texas, only it's because it the goes through. Capital Houston. of Southern Baptist world. I mean, what more do you want?
2: At least so you start in, right in Texas. State, That's right. The right, state. the right state's a good thing. We can go with that. <laughs> Um listen, uh, we, 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 you, you are fami- obviously you're familiar with the Evangelical Manifesto. I understand you are one of the signatories to it, or at least you've signed on your That's endorsement correct. to it. Okay. Uh, did you assist in writing it at all? Uh, no.
1: I, I, I may have assisted, although I don't know this for sure, in vetting it at one point because okay. it was one by me and they did ask me for comments. But I didn't go back to check and see if they took what I said and did anything with it or not. I just gave them my advice and left it at that. Right.
2: Okay. Now, uh, I'm, did, did you hear the show yesterday? You, this is not a confession moment either. I'm just curious. Did you hear the show yesterday or did someone just tell you about no, it? No, I then? was
1: called. I was actually on a plane coming back from the press conference on, oh, okay. on the manifesto. In Washington? In or? Washington. That's right. And uh, and uh, someone told me about the show. And, of course, I've done this show sure. numerous times. Sure. And so uh, uh, just uh, called in and said, hey, you want to have the other half? Of the conversation
2: yeah that'd be great Uh, that's excellent and y'all have been great
1: about it so i appreciate that very
2: much it'll be fun now here's the here's the thing i want to give you the opportunity to do first and uh, there may not be anything you need to include in this answer but i I know that uh you are a signatory but not the producer of the whole document so is there any part of it at all that you would want to distance yourself from in any way are you wholly (laughs) complicit with the document
1: Well, complacence well is yeah. an interesting might as well load the rhetoric word. I signed on to begin with. I signed on to it cuz I believe what it says, period. I mean, the I really Yes, I really don't have too much. I mean, everyone can sign a document and say, "Well, if I were writing it, I might say something this way versus that." But the thrust of the document, the intent of the document uh, and the uh, the uh, conception behind the document I am, uh, find myself fully identifying with.
2: Okay, uh, because that, that that's exactly why I wanted to ask you the question, yeah. because if there are any any places that you would want to separate yourself from it, I just wanted to give you freedom to do it. But mm-hmm. I understand. Now, you're just saying generally, uh, in fact, looking through the whole document, that that is the spirit that you embrace. You exactly right. Okay, fine. Did you hear uh, Richard Mao's comments on it, on NPR, on his interview at all? I actually did not. They were okay.
1: doing that interview in another room while I was at, I was okay. at the press conference. Now, Washington.
2: again, I'm not going to ask you to defend yeah. someone else's view so yeah. I, I, w- I wouldn't put you in that position but I do want to know because uh, you know I, I read the document let me just let me say this first I read the document and my reaction I even told this to Dr. Burke yesterday my immediate reaction was this either says nothing or I disagree with the part that it does say mm-hmm. uh, it either repeats what all evangelicals would have said anyway or in the places where I'm reading it and it has flexibility, it either goes the direction I completely disagree with, or it doesn't say anything new. Does it surprise you? I assume you know. I'm, I mean, I host Jerry Johnson Live fairly frequently, so right. I assume you know the position that I would come from on conservative, you know, evangelical, well, or here's, Republican, here's, or Christian, or whatever. Here's, I think, the question
1: I the, manifest, I, the manifesto asks, and I think that this is the question to okay. really zero in on. And that is whether it's more important to be Christian, conservative, centrist, or liberal. And 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 what we are trying to say is is that every now and then the church takes a deep breath. I, I view it as like a corporate quiet time mm-hmm. where you take a deep breath and you say, have we been all we have claimed to be? Have we done it exactly as we have said it should be done? And this document is not aimed at any particular group within evangelicalism. It is It is targeted, if you want to use that word, at evangelicalism as a whole. There are times at which... There are times at which I have done things in the public square I would now say were wrong. Wrong altogether. Uh, yes, okay. at, misdirected because okay. be, being wrong in tone is as important as being wrong in content.
2: I, I, I agree it's, it is important. It, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's as important, but I agree with you. Well, I, the, with po-
1: you. the point is it produces a distortion, and it produces it a distortion of the message of the gospel, and that's a problem. You know, the Scripture condemns religious people for blaspheming the name of God in the way they interact with the world or the way they live around other people. And I so, agree. I understand that. And so, so I look at this document and I say, you know, just like happened at times in the Old Testament when, when Nehemiah <coughs> came forward or Jeremiah came forward and said, we just need to take a deep breath and a pause. This right. is a good time for us to do this.
2: But if we take a deep breath and pause and we reevaluate our content because our rhetoric has been wrong, then we can make a serious mistake. We can apply ourselves to a content change that's not appropriate. And I think there's some muddling in this document between those two issues. In fact, I'm confident there is.
1: Well, uh, that would I'd love to hear because I I actually don't think that there is uh, muddling on the on the content. I yeah. think that the I think the definition of an evangelical is clear. I think the, I think the idea of standing up for it now. W- let do me you back, think? Go, yeah, ahead, go sorry,
2: ahead. Do you think this document defines evangelicals in a non-political fashion?
1: Do you think it does that? I think it primarily does that, sure. But there is the, there's the final section which talks about yeah. how we politicize ourselves and here's here's I think the Hugely other important. The other important part of this document is really a call to evangelicals to be balanced in their in their in their political discussion and in the way in which they address topics. Now to
2: me Uh that sounds like a statement that we want evangelicalism to reassess how they're focusing on certain issues because there are only certain issues we emphasize. Uh, Take abortion. As a primary one, right. So we emphasize that this document sounds like an attempt to uh, deprioritize abortion as a primary issue. Is that a fair assessment?
1: No, I wouldn't say it that way. I would say okay. that I would say that abortion is one of the issues that uh, an evangelical would stand up for because they believe in the right to life and protecting the right to life. But that doesn't mean that abortion is the only issue I stand up for, nor should abortion become the uh, the only thing or the primary thing I'm known for.
2: Why, why would it not become the primary? primary thing you're known for if it's the most important, and this is my assessment of it by the way, the most important ethical statement dealing with the value that we hold at the core of our Christian essence i mean that we value every human life
1: and this is precisely the discussion i think the manifesto is calling for and that is whether that judgment itself is is the proper place to land in other words i it (laughs) seems to me that it seems to me that all of life is sacred (laughs) it's sure and that all of life and the way we live is important sure and so that means that the values that that fuel into whether we give birth to a life whether we take a life at the end, or how we treat the living in the midst of life, all of that is important, and I don't know how to prioritize it. But
2: it's, I do, it's not legal to kill anyone in our society except that unborn fetus. It's not hard for me to say. And That's the first law I want changed.
1: And so you contend for that in the public square. But absolutely. But That's what we're doing is evangelicals. But it's, but it's one of many things that you contend for. And
2: I do contend court. for other things, including a free market, which I think represents the civil public square as well as the ideas. Uh, you know, the market of ideas is no more important than the think market of economy.
1: And it's absolutely legitimate for someone to raise the question of whether the pursuit of a free market in certain contexts represents a commitment to a kind of materialism that is the very thing that Jesus often condemns.
2: Sort of like uh, an advocacy of a civil public square of ideas might be advocating a humanistic view of mankind do you think but but this document doesn't it's not shy at all about saying to be evangelical you need to advocate a civil public square I agree with that by yes. the way yeah, well, Dr. Black, uh-huh.
3: my question that I would have is how do you define evangelicalism in any kind of truly apolitical context
1: well I think th- I-, I think that part of what's happened here is the idea that 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 evangelical has a has a non-social or a non-political element. It does. There are values that come with the position that are a part of saying I'm an evangelical. Sure. But having said that, the primary definition of this term throughout its history has involved it's theological commitment the idea that if you you can change structures politically all you want but if hearts aren't changed then and then in the end that's going to end up being a shallow victory now, we right. agree with all of that. Uh, right? i know you do i, yeah, I, I know you do yeah. i mean but for
3: instance then, evangelicals don't want a state church no, correct. that's correct. And, and that's I, a political stance. That's
1: exactly right. And not only that, not only do evangelicals not want a state church, and there's good reasons for that, right. but we also have to live with the reality that we live in a country that is set up to be a plurality. I mean, and, and that that's regardless of religious position. So right. how do you function in that kind of context? So what the manifesto is is an attempt to state how do we have those conversations in a, right. in, a, in an appropriate kind of way
2: but here's the deal that the, just that one statement is what really gets me on the on the whole thing if we're advocating a civil public square based on an essential value of Christianity that you regard all human beings as worth uh, you know well that's my like value
1: that. that I bring to the public square but
2: it's in the definition I mean it's in the it's in this document the evangelical manifesto to promote a public square I mean a civil public square that's not right. a naked one not it's a sacred
1: an, one but a civil it's one. it's an important value
2: okay uh, uh, and it's an important value because Christian Christians in their christianity not just neutrally but in their christianity have this regard for the worth of each person right? exactly is that right, right. okay exactly so it right. comes out of our basic christianity if the value that comes out of my basic christianity is a regard for human life that makes me want to defend unborn children. And it makes me say, not just, hey, this happens to be a law I prefer over laws about environmentalism, but it makes me say, if we don't address this, then we are violating God's righteousness in this land, or we are violating this God's righteousness as those who rule in this land, because in a democracy, we rule. If I'm expressing my core Christian value, through an issue like abortion, which is very fundamentally important to me, then how on earth is that any different than promoting the civil public square? And you have all of forty-five seconds, but we're going to give you plenty of time <laughs> after the break to answer. Well, also,
1: the simple answer to that question is is that is that I think I should contend for the right to life. Dr. And Mock, I, I want to hold you for visibly. a second because okay. you've
2: said you've said enough right there just to get us to the break. But after the break, I'm going to give you plenty of time to answer that question. Okay. Lots of time, right. and I want to say to everyone yesterday, uh, some leading. Evangelicals produced a document called the Evangelical Manifesto, which some have interpreted as a statement that evangelical Christians ought to back off of the political uh, forefront, or at least of supporting a particular political party, which is how a lot of our actions have been interpreted over the last 25 years or so. Uh, I want to invite you to be a part of that discussion when we come back. Dr. Burke, who was with me yesterday talking about the Evangelical Manifesto, will be with us after the bottom of the hour, and Dr. Bach will be back with us also defending that manifesto, so hang on. And we're going to have a great debate after the break on Jerry Johnson Live.
0: Today's show is an encore presentation. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. All right, privileged to be with you,
2: and uh, also with Denny Burke, uh, Associate Professor of New Testament Studies at Criswell College. And Denny, appreciate you joining us in the studio now. Glad to be back. And again, Dr. Bach from Dallas Theological Seminary, appreciate your being with us also.
1: Well, I think I'm glad to be here now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're having a fun discussion. Now, here's the deal. Uh, I had asked, uh, well, what happened yesterday, again, just to remind everybody, is uh, a group of evangelical leaders produced a document called the Evangelical Evangelical manifesto. They had a press conference about it uh, in Washington D.C. yesterday. Uh, Dr. Bach was in that press conference, and uh, he, on his way back home, heard about our discussion of the topics uh, regarding this evangelical manifesto yesterday, and was and volunteered himself for a discussion about it tonight. So uh, he's basically uh, defending the document, defending the ideas of it, and of course we were pretty harshly critical of it, and are still being pretty harshly critical of it, no matter how much we revere Dr. Bach <laughs> and his scholarship, and we do have great reverence for you. We appreciate you deeply and your ministry and your service. Uh, to the New Testament, church, and to the New Testament generally. So all of that's true, and yet, wow, are you wrong on this? So, <laughs> <laughs> so here's the deal. Um, I had asked a moment ago, you know, if I'm going to say a fundamental value like uh, the rights and respect we have for individuals, which I, uh, this is the part of the document that I agree with most. In a civil public square, a vision of public life in which citizens of all faiths are free to enter and engage in the public square on the basis of their faith, but within a framework of what is agreed to be just and free for other faiths also, thus Every right we assert for ourselves is at once a right we defend for others. I mean, that's just uh, applying the New Testament idea of the golden rule or of the royal law or whatever you want to call it, that we treat others exactly like we ourselves expect to be treated. We universalize the things we say about anyone. So if that value is what informs my desire for a civil public square, why cannot that same value that I regard all human life equally inform my desire to defend the issue of abortion? And if in a society that is a key ethical issue at the current time, uh, then why Why wouldn't I allow my evangelicalism to be identified with the defense of those innocent children? There is
1: nothing in the document that prevents you from taking precisely that stand okay right. what what i what i'm arguing here is what I, what i'm talking about here has as much to do with the tone with which we engage in this discussion as it does the content that we are attempting to defend as evangelicals
2: you're not looking particularly at me when you say that are no,
1: you? No, oh, okay. no no okay but i've heard 've heard times <laughs> i've heard times when opponents are demonized sure in ways that demeans them as human beings and that and that inherently either it attributes a a malevolent motive to them or something like that, when I don't necessarily know what's in their hearts and in their minds and what motivates them.
2: Now, again, I'm not going to ask you to defend someone else's position. Okay. uh, But I will say it appears from the document, and uh, more importantly from Mao's interpretation of it, that uh, here's what he says here. Uh, I think many of them, he's talking about the conservative evangelicals that are being uh, associated too much with one particular political movement, I think many of them have a vested interest in promoting and using their religious leadership to promote a certain kind of political agenda. Now, you wouldn't necessarily agree with that statement. Then it's too harshly critical of.
1: I think. The, I think I would say it this way: I think that if a person is promoting a political agenda that runs counter to the to the combination of Christian values that Scripture sets forward then that means we ought to stop take a deep breath and pause and reflect on whether we're responding properly or not in a balanced way to the debates in which we're entering that's what this document is actually calling for okay and 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 in that sense it's important to realize that that in in cases where i Demonize someone. You know the goal. This is this is. We often refer to the cultural war, the spiritual war affair that's going on. But the goal of this is different than any other war. And when I'm in a basic war, my my goal is to overrun the enemy. But in this conflict, the actual goal is to hope to be used by God in a way that will draw a person to the gospel.
2: Well, that's true. Now, I, I, I mean, all of us are going to agree with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, everything that I've said verbally just about you've agreed with in the but, last but half in, hour. But
2: individuals aren't our only enemy. That's the thing. The, the truth is our ally and falsehood. Uh, deception, error is one of our enemies. That's it, one of the things but, we attack. But the
1: battle is taken on with a sense of tragedy. You know, when Jesus walked into Jerusalem after having, as as he was being rejected by the Jews, he wept. And the point here I is the, the point here is there's a tone to all this that is so very crucial, so that in the midst of the criticism and in the midst of the engagement, it is clear. You truly care for the person you're interacting with, and I think sometimes sure. we lose our way here.
2: Yeah. I'm going to mention something, and then I'm going to ask Dr. Burke to comment and uh, jump in on the discussion right here. Uh, we have a, uh, a, some folks who've uh, started to call in, and I don't want to be unfair. I haven't given out the number because I knew how busy we'd be in the discussion. Uh, but if you're interested in calling in and uh, making a comment on the Evangelical Manifesto or asking a question to Dr. Bach, uh, you feel free to call in at one 800 9270 if you are extremely patient and willing to put up with the fact that it may be a while before we get to your call. But if you're interested, uh, we're willing to let you engage as soon as we can get to you at one eight hundred eight eight one nine two seven zero. doctor Burke, what
4: are you thinking right now? Well, Dr. Bach, you, you didn't hear our conversation yesterday. this is Denny Burke yeah. and Daryl Bach. So this <laughs> is, right. it's, he's my uh, former professor, so there's a certain you know, reference and awe going on. Um, you didn't hear our show yesterday, so let me just tell you where I came down on this. I, I had a mixed review of... The document. There are certain things in here I affirm wholeheartedly. Um, number one, I think evangelicalism has to be defined first and foremost theologically and biblically. Mm-hmm. And the call to do that is, I, I totally agree with. And um, part of the problem with, with modern evangelicalism is that it's identified um, for some people primarily as a political movement or as a sociological phenomenon which I think is unfortunate, and it removes us from our biblical and theological heritage. So, I don't
2: think that's inherently unfortunate, by the way, but go ahead. I'll come back to it. Later. <laughs> well,
4: I, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we do need to be defined uh, theologically and well, biblically. So, of course. So I, Among I agree those who care that. about theology. Go yes. ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Go I ahead. endorse that, so uh, mm-hmm. that, that's great. I also agree with the second main point. We have to reform our behavior. There is a great line uh, from the document. It says this, All too often we've trumpeted the gospel of Jesus, but we've replaced biblical truths with therapeutic techniques, worship with entertainment, discipleship with growth in human potential, church growth with business entrepreneurialism, concern for the church and for the local congregation with expressions of faith that are churchless, and little better than vapid spirituality. And it goes on. These are wonderful. Then there's a rebuke for the health wealth Mm -hmm. sort of a movement. All of those things totally, totally Um, So my review is mixed here The problems that get What what gave me pause Were items like this In uh, the same section under We must reform our behavior We have to call for an expansion of our concern Beyond single issue politics And then it specifically says We have to We can't back away from our biblically rooted commitment To the sanctity of human life Including the unborn Nor can we deny the holiness of marriage but we have to follow the model of Jesus, engaging global giants of conflict, racism, corruption, poverty, and so forth. We have to assist the poor, care for the sick, educate the next generation.
1: You're just exhausted after you read that. That's yeah, <laughs> that's wonderful.
4: That's the truth. Okay, so on the face of it, let me say I would agree with that. Now here here's an implication that I have a problem with. I want to treat the sanctity of human life and even the issue of marriage in terms of what's happening in in america right now i want to treat that as in terms of our political engagement as two transcendent moral issues and i want to think of them at least from my point of view as my evangelicalism is going to cause me to speak out and advocate in a way for those that i may not feel the same way about when it comes to uh environmentalism well environmentalism in other words if you raise it it, let's just take it For instance, the way my church engages this is different than the way I'm going to engage this, say, in the voting booth. I'm going to prioritize the life issue in the voting booth. And that's why I'm you say just, they're transcendent I'm to you. Ju- yeah, it's a tra- when I go to the voting booth, it's a, it's a transcendent moral issue. I'm going to give you and some more
2: time to make your point, and Dr. Bach, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to him in a moment, but I want to give a caller at least one shot at getting a question in here before we get through okay. this segment, all right? So uh, I appreciate your calling and waiting and being patient. Scott from Lawton, Oklahoma, uh, what's on your mind? What do you want to ask tonight, or what comment do you have?
4: Well, actually, uh, this, this thing about the single-issue politics is kind of what
2: I wanted to weigh in mostly. Uh, a couple of things here, real quick. All right, the church—I think the church should only be involved in politics where the secular government has involved itself in issues of the church, such as the life and death issues, uh, homosexuality, family. On the other side of that, to oppose the uh, the left side, we have no business involving the government in social welfare issues. <laughs> Caesar has no business in. And yet they're involved in it, aren't they? Social welfare is the church's job, not Caesar's. Yeah, I understand that. In fact, I think a lot of the criticism that people would give to evangelicalism does have to do with the fact that sometimes when we focus on these issues from a legal perspective, for instance, we seem to be ignoring them at a social level. We seem to be ignoring actually ministering to the people, and I just want to give both of you a chance to
1: respond to that Well, let me just notice the way the question was phrased. It was phrased in right versus left, Uh okay? Yeah, right. Okay, now— That's where to, our society is. That I understand that. And the part of what this document is asking is, is it more important to be Christian than right, left, or center? And the reason I ask it that way— How can you ask them exclusively? Go ahead. Well, uh, <laughs> I'll eventually get through this. But anyway, um, uh, the the reason you ask it that way is to say— In what part of life is government not involved? The government is involved in all aspects of our life. And when we talk about values that impact our society, we're talking about more than government's involvement in life. We're talking about the involvement of institutions in our society in government and outside of government. So it seems to me that a comprehensive evangelical philosophy would run into all those areas. And I think it's all transcendent because I think all of life is sacred.
2: But uh, in a, in, a, in a, okay, Denny, what's your what's well, your take on that?
1: In other words,
4: to advocate for a certain uh, view on, say, the Kyoto protocols, a view on that, you would make a moral equivalence between that and a person's view on the sanctity of human life. If
1: my if my understanding was that not doing something about the environment means death for my grandchildren, you bet I would. Seriously. Even though yes. the, to- Even the death
4: though- toll is 50 million and counting in America right now. Right Since now. Roe v. Ray. And, and how, it's now. on the and basic many, value of life and, that that's established. And how
1: many will be killed if we don't do something about our environment we can't sustain life in. But
2: it. based on a utilitarian argument, not a value argument, which is the basis of our Christianity. We'll be back to talk more about, more about this topic in just a moment on Jerry Johnson Live.
0: college today for information about the upcoming term call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to Chriswell.edu. that's Chriswell.edu. today's show is an encore presentation you're listening to jerry johnson live now here's today's host dr barry creamer
2: I hate to admit that you just missed about five minutes of uh, really fun debate, uh, but we're going to come right back to the issue that we were talking about when we left the air a few minutes ago. And uh, I'm also, if we can get time to get to these next callers, I'm going to try to get to you. But first, I want to reiterate uh, that what's come up is uh, Richard Mao, for instance, in defending this uh, document on NPR yesterday in an interview, uh, was asked this question. Uh, there's been some talk uh, for a, about a bit of a rift between older conservative Christians who focus on issues like abortion, same sex marriage and younger ones who might uh, be a bit more concerned about things like the environment. Do you think this manifesto will help seal that rift at all? And uh, his response, Richard Mao's response, whether uh, Dr. Bach wants to defend it or not is up to him. was, I think that's for many of us, that's part of the motivation. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about why that is, and then gives some critical statements to the religious right, uh, understandably, in light of that statement. So the question was, is it appropriate for us as evangelicals, for any of us as evangelicals, to choose a particular issue? Now, none of us would consider ourselves single-issue voters or anything else in terms of saying the only thing that matters to me is this. But some of us do choose one issue as the highest priority, and sometimes far above all the others. So I would gladly put myself in that camp. So single-issue voter means that. I'm a single issue voter. I'm okay with that. Now, here's the deal. I'm saying that's defensible because it's a basic Christian value that I think, because of the current political setting, demands a Christian, a a, a clarion. Christian call and a prophetic voice, regardless of how tired everyone is of hearing it. I teach bioethics. I know how sick people are of hearing about abortion, but I don't care. I'm going to stand outside the wall, and I'm going to holler about it anyway, because it is the most important issue facing our country right now. Just like if I were in Germany in 1932, I would not put up a sign that said, it's the economy, stupid, as I asked Dr. Burke yesterday. So all of that said, there's my opinion. Dr. Bach, you finally get a moment to speak uninterruptedly (laughs) for at least the next 10 seconds. Okay. No,
1: let me let me read the last sentence of this paragraph that, yes, that uh, Denny was reading from because I think it's important. We believe it is our calling to be good stewards of all God has entrusted to our care so that it may be passed on to generations yet to be born. it's the all here that's important. Now, let me say this. Some people may say abortion is the transcendent issue that they want to dedicate their life to uh, making a statement in the society for. I'm all for that. But other people may have other issues that they also think are important that are worth bringing to people's attention that they're going to give their energy to. They feel called to do that. Let's think about it like you might think about gifts in the body. And I think that, that part of what this document is after is, let's not forget those other areas. They are part of a total statement that evangelicalism as a whole makes to the culture about what it cares about. And I think that's part of what this manifesto is pushing for. Let's not just simply be in one seat or another. Let's make sure that across the board we occupy all these areas. They are all of importance. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think that every Christian has to
4: devote the same amount of time and energy on, say, the life issue that we would on this program, I think I agree with you, different Christians, different gifts. I agree with that. But what I'm seeing in the the document is this idea, perhaps, that we need to leave behind these issues. As transcendent moral issues or as defining issues.
1: I don't see that anywhere in the document. I think that's a mischaracterization of the document. The document says that you stand up for the sacred, continue to stand up for the sacred nature of life. So I think the problem is is that in many cases if someone brings up some of these other issues, they will say, you're getting off track. And I'm going, no, I'm not getting off track. Here's another thing that people care about that's important in making the statement that life is sacred and we have a stewardship of people in our society to deal with carefully in a moral way with these areas.
2: Do you think evangelicalism can be defined politically by anyone? and it be an accurate definition of evangelicalism is that or is that an unworthy definition well
1: I don't know I'd have to know what what the term politically means in that kind of a sense. let's
2: say they identify me as an evangelical because I'm pro-life would that be an, uh, a mischaracterization of evangelicalism it in m- your it, mind
1: it might be because you may or may not be an evangelical because you're pro-life it may maybe that your I evangelicalism that. feeds your pro-life view right but but a person can be pro-life and not be an evangelical.
2: so what do I care if a normal person by that I mean a a non-Christian, if a normal person out there is evaluating my evangelicalism, and of course I want them to know Christ, Mm -hmm. but in a discussion where they don't care what the Bible says and they don't care about salvation right now and they're not interested in religious or spiritual things of any kind whatsoever. Here's
1: what I care about. What? I care about the statement that reflects a perception that says the only thing an evangelical cares about is how someone is born or whether they get born and and that they not be put to death prematurely but they don't give a darn about anything in between. And we yet
4: leave, there's yeah, not that, one that evangelical that, about a, him that would be true. That's a caricature though. That's At, right. But 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 of listen, the religious right. But listen, that's a caricature. listen to what's
1: happened to our discussion today. We have spent the, the bulk of our time defending the right to do a, talk about abortion and euthanasia when I have spent the bulk of our time saying Let's do that, okay? Let's do that. And then the, and then the stuff that's in the middle that, that it, it is a reflection of life somehow is, is viewed as uh, less worthy to engage in in one way or another. That is the very issue of balance that I'm talking well, about. Well, here, this is what I'm talking about is
4: this. This document is released, you know, a day after the big primaries that were happening. People are thinking about, okay, I'm going to have a specific role in the upcoming election. Okay, I'm going to go in the voting booth. I'm going to have to pull a lever for somebody. I'm going to have to have a taxonomy, or I'm going to have to prioritize the issues um, that are on the table in this election. Um, one side has a priority. Let's say one side in, in the election has a priority on the environment, whereas the other side may have a priority on life. Okay? As an evangelical, I care about the environment, but my priority on nascent human life is transcendent. Um I'm going to be, in that instance, a single-issue voter. In other words, I'm going to let my priorities dictate who I'm pulling the lever for.
1: But if I am destroying – and this this is a characterization, but please just listen to it because I think it's important. If I am destroying the air that people breathe for the sake of earning dollars or something like that, if I am destroying the quality – So that you can earn dollars and support people. Please let me finish. If I am – lessening the quality and the sacredness of life by the way in which institutions work in our society and devalue the ability of people to live to the, to their uh, with their God-given gifts and destroy and am irresponsible with the stewardship of the creation, a very delicately balanced stewardship that God has given us. And that's just one example. See, what I don't want to do is I don't want to turn this into an either-or discussion. I want this to be a both-and discussion. Sure. And, and And in doing so... That is the reflection of the of the recalibration of balance that I think the document is asking us to think about and take seriously. Where
4: are the leading? I want to ask you this. You got how about come, ten seconds. Yeah, how come the leading religious? Uh, evangelical voices today were sort of left off of the document, or haven't. Why signed do you think on. they didn't sign? Well, because the do-
1: because I, the real simple answer is, is that the document was released with the intention that people were welcome to sign it if they believed in it. Right. It was not con- it was not constructed with the idea that there be first signers who were the most important people in the discussion. It was constructed to make a statement and go out and do it.
2: Listen, we disagree on a lot of things, and they're important, and they're worth debating, and they're worth discussing. But here's what we don't disagree about at all. As individuals and as a culture, we don't just need change, we need transformation. And the only one who can provide it at any level that matters is Jesus Christ. This is Barry Kramer, privileged to be with Denny Burke and Daryl Bach, and you've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live.
0: been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.